Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. Uh, I will just go ahead and confess to you, uh, my my heart is and and my mind are a little bit divided this morning. Uh, my heart, my thoughts uh, are with my mom. She is in surgery right now, so appreciate. I assured her that we would all be praying for her. Obviously, if the world were different right now, I wouldn't be here today with you. I would be there sitting uh you know, in a surgical waiting room with her, but um, COVID-19 prevents that. And so I'm here with you, and I'm glad to be here with you. Um, you are not just a happy distraction this morning. Uh, it is my heart's desire for you and I to be pursuing together the things of Christ in this world, um, entrusting to God those things that we cannot control. And this morning, that includes um, the repair of my mom's heart, physical heart. So she is in good hands. Uh, Either way this goes, let me just go ahead and say that. My mom is in good hands in terms of the surgical team. My mom is ultimately in the best hands ever, uh, which are the hands of God, um, because she has given her life in faith to him in Jesus Christ. And so if you haven't done that business, if you haven't transacted that business with God, uh, let me encourage you to get that business done before you do anything else today. Because it will provide for you a peace which passes all understanding and the ability to uh, do the good work that God has prepared in advance for each of us to do in each and every day, um, regardless of the other things that are going on in the world and in even our own personal lives. So turning attention now to some of the headline news. Um, Just in the news there at the top of the hour, let me just raise, um, in case you didn't make note of it, let me just make note of the partiality. Let me just make note of the partiality. There were two stories um, highlighted just in that very, very brief news segment um, about the apprehension by the police of two different individuals with two very different outcomes. So in the one story, we have Peter Manfredoni. He is a white University of Connecticut student um, who has slaughtered people with a machete uh, and a multi-state In fact, a federal manhunt has been on for him for a number of days, during which um, the press and the police and law enforcement at every level have been pleading to him over the airwaves in that part of the country, uh, assuring him that he's loved, assuring him that nobody intends him any harm, um, desiring, you know, nobody, uh, nobody thinks that this is consistent with his character. Um, Please turn yourself in. He has been apprehended without incident. Um, and is in police custody. Juxtapose that with the treatment of George Floyd, who was uh, a suspect that was suspected of trying to pass a forged $20 bill at a Cub Foods in Minneapolis, um, and who we all have now watched breathe his last under the knee of, um, of a white police officer. So 
there's partiality. I don't I don't care what you think or the argument you want to bring that there's no partiality in this country. That's not equal justice under the law. In in a in a two minute segment of news this morning, partiality is evident. And so whatever else you want to call it, let's call it that. Let's call it there is there is evidence of partiality in our justice system here in the United States of America. And it's not just in our justice system. It's in our hearts. So we are going to talk about that. It is hard to talk about. We are not going to look away from it. Um, And as one listener texted me yesterday, Carmen, I am so glad you are having these conversations so I don't have to. Maybe that's the way you feel about this. Um, I'm okay with that. I am going to lead us into the deep waters of these conversations um, because we have got to have a change of heart and then a change of systemic reality in this country um, that we would be a people where justice is impartial, where you and I would show no partiality because of the color of a person's skin. Okay, Uh, that's not where we're starting this morning. That's where we started this part of the conversation. But um, Ben Johnson is literally waiting in the wings, my my patient friend. Um, And he and I are going to talk about a number of headlines this morning, Um, big headlines related to freedom of speech and freedom of religion and all kinds of other things. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, our friend Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. Welcome back, sir. Good to be with you, and may God be with you and your mother. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, so uh, this is a story of interest to me because it is a part of uh, my experience in my prior life um, working with congregations like these former Episcopal churches who are now Anglican. So give us the um, give us the update on the Texas Supreme Court ruling related to a group of churches in Fort Worth who were once affiliated with the Episcopal Church and are now a part of the Anglican Church North America. Right. For those who don't know the backstory of the Episcopal Church, it's been a tragic slide for decades, but uh, it really supercharged in 2003 when the Episcopal Church USA ordained its first openly non-celibate gay bishop. Three years later, they elected a presiding bishop named uh, Catherine Jefford Shorey, who started her ministry by giving a sermon calling Jesus our mother. And several dioceses, five dioceses in all, broke away from the Episcopal Church, many of them affiliated with the Anglican Church in North America which uh, triggered a fight over the property that those churches own. Usually in churches that are governed by a bishop, the local parish says that all of its belongings are being held for the diocese, and the diocese in its bylaws says that it's holding all of its property for the national church. So if an individual parish wishes to leave a denomination, it can do so, but it has to leave its church building, its bank account, and everything it owns behind and start from scratch. The Texas Supreme Court ruled that the Diocese of Fort Worth can leave the Episcopal Church, join the ACNA, and keep control of 50 properties worth $100 million. Uh, To to my knowledge, this is the most significant court case and the highest court that has ever ruled in this direction. Uh, There have been rulings in favor of individual churches before, 
but uh, they've always been overturned, usually at uh, the appeals court level. The Supreme Court has not heard a case dealing with this, so it could still be overturned. But uh, this, uh, the fact that uh, an entire diocese left might have been the real change here. When uh, the local church says that the diocese is the owner and the diocese says we no longer affiliate with this church, we now affiliate with another church, that could really be what made all the difference here. So uh, again, it could be overturned, but uh, in effect, you know, the new leadership of a church comes in, they liberalize the theology, water it down or radically change the gospel as has occurred through people like Bishop Shelby Spong and, and uh, all the way back to Bishop Pike in the 1960s. Uh, and then they want to steal centuries of tithes that have been paid by believing Christians in local churches by keeping that property. This is at least one Supreme Court that has said, you can't do that. So let me just uh, say to you, if you're listening out there in a part of the country and you're saying to yourself, we had to pay. Um, I mean, I know there's a bunch of you out there. So uh, we actually had to pay our presbytery or we had to pay our diocese or we had to buy back our church when we wanted to. Uh, affiliate with a different denomination. Um, sometimes the uh, the trust law in your con- uh, in your state is what is at issue here. And so um, Ben and I are commenting this morning on a case in Texas, and it is significant for churches in Texas. It's also significant for other uh, Episcopal former Episcopal congregations who are now Anglican. Those would be the close associations, but the uh, the broader association and. Ben raised this uh, raised this potential if indeed this were to rise to the level of the Supreme Court and they were to um, accept the case, which they have turned down appeals in other uh, church ownership uh, cases 29 times, I think, to my count. Um, so we are um, we are ripe. Time is ripe for the Supreme Court to take one of these cases. And this might indeed be the one. So worthy of watching. Lots of folks. um uh, interested here because nobody, you know, frankly, nobody wants to have to pay for their same church property twice. <laughs> so there you go. That's the upside and downside of it. All right. Um, let's talk. Um, I have two headlines uh, that I did not tee up for us um, to talk about, Ben, because they happened since the time that you and I passed emails yesterday. Um, and I'm wondering if when we bounce back from the break, we could just make a quick comment about um, uh, the the vote in the U.S. House of Representatives, which has passed this Uyghur um, human rights bill, which would include sanctions against the Chinese government. And um, and then also maybe just take a quick look at President Trump's executive order that he is likely to sign today, supposed to sign today in relationship to social media companies. He's a little ticked off at Twitter where he has 80 million followers, um, but he doesn't like the idea that uh, that social media companies would in any way, um, you know, uh, I don't know, intervene, uh, make comment about the truthfulness of, of things that people post there. So um, those two up quick, and then we're going to talk about Clarence Thomas as well. All of that up next on Mornings with Carmen. Today, I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. I run too far to still be the same. All right, I'm talking with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. Um, Ben, two things that popped in the news overnight. Um, First of all, the House of Representatives passed a bill via proxy related to the human rights of the Uyghur people. Let me just read the um, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi um, comment before the vote yesterday and let you comment on it. Beijing's barbarous actions targeting the Uyghur people 
are an outrage to the collective conscience of the world. This House of Representatives, in a very strong bipartisan way, which, let me just say, it was one, one vote short of absolute unanimity. We are sending a message to the persecuted that they are not forgotten. We're saying to the president of China, you may tell these people they are forgotten, but they are not. Yes, and thank goodness this vote has come about. I wish it were completely unanimous. The Uyghur people have suffered so tremendously, uh, both for being an ethnic minority, which sort of ties in with some of the headlines here in the United States, but also for being a religious minority. There are 10 million Uyghurs in one province. More than a million are in re-education camps. Many are beaten or tortured or raped or uh, subjected to various forms of harassment because they don't fit in with the overall atheistic uh, view of the Chinese government. The fact that they hold to any religion is a, a threat to communism because communism sees no God higher than the state. So thank goodness uh, that uh, this, this sanction has come forward from the United States. We're making a clear statement. Conscience should not be regulated by the government. Everyone has the right and the duty to follow God as they see fit. And uh, that's the traditional Christian view as well, is that everyone should freely embrace God. We believe that that should be Jesus Christ. We pray that one day they will find Jesus Christ. But until they do, no government should come in and try to destroy their religious belief. I feel like you and I are probably going to be uh, talking frequently about China in the coming weeks, months, and even years. President Trump is planning to sign an executive order today about social media companies. Um, it is a review. This is, this is some uh, sexy headlines here. This is a review of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act which exempts online platforms from liability um, from users' posts. So apparently the, um, the, U, the, the White House has an Office of Digital Strategy, strategy and they are going to roll out something called the White House Tech Bias Reporting Tool. That's going to be, I think, the big headline um, out of the executive order today. But let's talk about the First Amendment. Yeah, the First Amendment uh, applies to governments. It applies to your right to speak and uh, have your political opinion or your religious freedom respected. You have the right to say what you wish. However, you don't necessarily have the right to use other people's platforms in order to do that. I don't have the right to come on faith radio and uh, speak about uh, the Muslim faith, for example, if I were a Muslim. And uh, people don't have the right to go on Twitter necessarily and, uh, and use Twitter in a way that violates its own guidelines. Uh, Twitter is a private company, and therefore it has the right to uh, impose guidelines according to whatever criteria it wishes. Now, uh, quite frankly, I wish that uh, it were a little more even-handed. I don't believe in censoring anybody. Let everyone speak, uh, other than uh, anything that's an incitement to violence or instructions on terrorism. Anything that's purely political speech, I think people should be able to, to speak freely without any kind of, of repercussion. That's the First Amendment. But Twitter has taken a different point of view. Facebook has taken a different point of view. They have the right to do that because it's their platform. When the federal government gets into regulating or compelling speech, it's starting to cross a line into government functions that are prohibited, not only by Supreme Court rulings, but by the First Amendment. The, feder the, the federal government cannot compel someone uh, to carry a message that violates its own guidelines. These are private companies. And so the, the right answer to all of this, as we discussed in a recent issue of uh, Religion and Liberty at Acton, is for some enterprising conservative entrepreneur to come up with a new platform that uh, does not censor other people and, in fact, lets people work out their, their opinions freely, follow those viewpoints that they like, and respects the First Amendment across the board.
Yeah, and for the 80 million people who are following uh, Donald Trump on Twitter, you you are a substantial uh, mm, that that'd be a movement. So if you wanted to go start something on your own, you could. Um, okay. Uh, let's talk about Clarence Thomas, because you have an excellent piece uh, posted at Acton. Again, it's A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G um, about Clarence Thomas describing the power of a biblical worldview. Tell us about that. It's really fantastic because of this PBS special that uh, aired not this past Monday, but the Monday before called Created Equal Clarence Thomas in His Own Words. It's a two hour documentary and it's nothing more than Clarence Thomas uh, sitting across a table from an interviewer you never see telling his life story, but it's so powerful. Thomas has a true Horatio Alger story of coming from nothing and becoming one of the nine most powerful people in the entire legal profession in the world. He was raised by his grandfather. His, his father was not in his life. His mother was in and out of his life. His grandfather was a constant, and he said his grandfather was illiterate. He read the Bible, but he had a biblical worldview. He believed that you had to work because of the sweat of your brow. You had to work from sun up to sun down. He had a very biblical point of view. When uh, Clarence Thomas actually went off to study to be a priest, that was his first calling to be a Roman Catholic priest, and the racism of a seminarian killed his faith and left him spiritually adrift. We've seen so many people harmed spiritually through abuse because of a bad example in the religious realm. He ended up uh, becoming uh, sort of a, a pro-Black Panther, pro-Malcolm X, Black radical in the 60s. And at one point, he had gone away from his faith so much, he was involved in a violent riot. And he stopped in front of a chapel afterwards at four in the morning and prayed for the first time in years. And he asked God to take anger out of his heart so that he wouldn't hate anymore. And that slowly turned him around, and it brought him back to the foundation that his grandfather had laid in him when he was a child. That shows the power of that biblical commandment. Train up a child in the way in which he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. He may depart when he's young, but he will return. And you get to see all of that play out and the great effects that it has in his life and for our country trying to return us to an original understanding of the Constitution and our rights as given by God, which he explained so beautifully in this. I would just say the name of the PBS special is Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words. It's a two-hour special. The entire thing is at pbs.org. It's live, it's streaming, and you've already paid for it. You might as well see it. <laughs> you've, yeah, you've already paid for it. That's a, that's a good way of thinking about that when things are on PBS. I appreciate that. Um, I, I love um, so many parts of this, and I think that in terms of uh, not only incur an encouragement about who is currently seated, right, in one of those very select chairs um, on the Supreme Court. Um, it's encouraging just to know his story and his heart and who he is and where he's from. And um, But I'll tell you that on this particular day, in this particular week, in this particular season, um, it's also an encouragement that he is who he is in terms of the color of his skin. I'm wondering if you want to take a minute to comment on um, the George Floyd, uh, I, I'll just call it a situation, the George Floyd um, tragedy um, in in Minneapolis. I'm going to spend the next uh, half hour talking about that with a black pastor from Minneapolis, but want to give you the opportunity to comment as well. Well, I, I would just amplify what you said about Clarence Thomas. He came from genuine segregation when it was still on the books, uh, from absolute nothingness in Pinpoint, Georgia. He had abject poverty, very little to his name, and he didn't even have indoor plumbing for many years of his life. And he, as you say, he has risen to one of the most select, uh, august positions in the entire world in the legal profession. 
If he can do it, that proves that there is great opportunity here if we are willing and able to rise above the idea that human dignity is somehow tied to one of these factors such as skin color or something else that is uh, born that is outside of our control. We have to recognize the inborn, innate human dignity of all people everywhere. That is one part of making people understand uh, the Christian message and opening their ears to the gospel. Ben Johnson, um, as always, thank you so much. Um, sorry we did not get to the conversations about uh, the Ten Commandments nor the conversation about the U.S. birth rate. We're going to, I don't know, maybe we'll find an opportunity to do that in the future. But there's always more to talk with you about than we have time uh, to do. So, again, thank you so much, as always, for joining us. You guys can find Ben at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. All right, it takes a lot to break through the uh, coronavirus COVID-19 headlines right now, uh, particularly on the day when the United States death toll passed 100,000. But one death, one death in Minnesota, the death of George Floyd, a 46-year-old African-American man, um, has broken through the news in a way that um, is not only significant, but from which we dare not look away. And so... um, We talked about this briefly yesterday with Daryl Crouch. We are going to talk about it again today with Pastor Billy Russell. Um, Please, I can't breathe. If you you don't hear anything else, um, hear these words, the, the dying words of George Floyd. Please, I can't breathe. Minneapolis Mayor uh, Jacob Fry has called for the police officer involved to be arrested. Uh, There has been a second night of violent protests, looting in South Minneapolis. Um, We're going to talk about all of this, all of this, and the reality of, uh, of racism with Pastor Billy Russell. That's up next. We'll be right back. In our culture, we keep intensely busy. Schedules are overdone, calendars overbooked, and responsibilities overwhelming. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I don't know what you're facing in your life today, but I can imagine that you've got a lot on your plate. That's not necessarily bad, unless it takes away from your family relationships. If you're too busy to have fun with your teenage son, you're too busy. And if you can't ever seem to fit in an hour for coffee and conversation with your daughter, you're too busy. Make room for the most important things in life. Maybe there's something inconsequential that needs to drop off your calendar in order to spend the best part of your day with your team. You have teenagers under your roof? Find more encouragement and helpful resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. October of 2009, I had a conversation with Pastor Billy Russell from the Greater Friendship Baptist Church, um, and we talked about the realities of racism in this country. Billy is back with us this morning. Um, I know that we didn't anticipate that things would be resolved by now, but uh, but Billy, let me just confess that um, I I had hoped that never would I see what we have now all seen, um, and I just want to 
offer you an opportunity to reflect this morning with me and in front of those who are listening all across the country and around the world to this conversation between two Christians. Um, I'm, I'm reviled by what has happened, and I've also heard from um, some of my black friends that um, they're sad that the white Christian community is surprised by this. So I'd just love to hear um, from you this morning. And again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I, you know, I, I don't even know what to say at this time. Um, I know we talked years ago and, uh, and with all that was going on. And I thought we would never be back here because I thought they was changed by now. But things have not changed. I literally have not gone to sleep all night. I've gotten calls from all over the country. There are so many uh, black people, African-American people who are upset by this, who want to come here and who want to do what was done last night because their anger is just anger. And out of all the things I've tried to do to try to prevent this from happening, we finally got to this boiling point. We got a boiling point right now where I can't, I don't condone what's happening, but I knew what's going to happen. I knew the anger was going to come like this. It's going to come out like this. And right now people want me to do what can you do to stop it? I can't stop it. I can't stop it. It's been it's, it's been coming out, and I don't know how far we're going to go in this. It is unprecedented, but right now, I don't know what we're going to do to stop this because, yeah, and my heart is hurting. My heart is truly, truly hurting right now. I've cried all I think that for us to have reached... Um reached the place as a country where um, people who speak professionally for a living, <clears throat> which would include you and me, um, we don't we don't quite know what to say. Um, and the words, the feelings related to this are one thing. And I think that um, talking about how we're feeling and acknowledging that we're at a place that we hoped from which we hoped we had moved away um, I'll use the word progressed, but I'm not sure that's um, that's the the right word. Um, I'm not sure that there was ever a depth of repentance, which is required in order that something be genuinely cast away, in order that something new can move in and live there. Um, and so I'm not I'm not sure that um, a genuine racism has been replaced with a heart of impartiality of the gospel. Like I'm I just well clearly it has not. And so we're not we're not there and we're not there in in my experience, Billy, um, in no small measure, because the Christian community is pretty much at the same place as everybody else. There's not an uprising among white Christians across the United States of America um, alongside our black and brown brothers and sisters saying we're done with this. We are done with this. Let us be done with this. Um, And so I think that for me, that's a part of the frustration. Let me read a um, a tweet. I don't know this individual on Twitter, um, but I do think that it reflects what you are describing. A fuse has been lit, um, and that fuse is has been lit from a lack of inaction. The job losses uh, that people of color have experienced, the lack of support, the injustice, um, it seems as if people are there for corporations, but not there for black people. Um, the race baiting doesn't help. I mean, the, it goes on and on. Um, and so when we start looking at the 
the layers of this or the concentric circles related to this. Um, we're in we're in some deep water and we clearly don't know how to swim here. Well, you know, coming up like I did in Mississippi and thinking about, I mean, it's, it's just unreal. I got my all kind of call from Mississippi. It's like it should have been better in Minnesota, but it's not better in Minnesota. And, you know, right now, I, I, don't, I just don't know what to think about this. Uh, like I said, I've cried all night. Um, and the bottom line is, when it all comes down to it, where do we go from here? I've met with people after people, white people after white people, white Christian after white Christian. I've tried to promote we are better together. I promoted that all these the last eight years. I've said, look, we, we can do this together. But right now, I'm at a point where I don't know where to go next. Right now, all I can say is God got this. And, and, and God got to help me because I don't know what I do from here. I don't know what I do from here. I may, I mean, it, it's easy for me just to go to the other side and just say, okay, it, it, it's time to stop this conversation. It's just time to go crazy. I don't, you know, and I won't, I don't want that. But that's yeah, what I know. I know you. Well, and I think I appreciate your being honest because, um, you know, I think that too often we we suggest that there are simple answers or we suggest that there are, you know, that there are solutions. And the the reality is until there is a change of heart, um, one by one by one by one by one, until there's a sufficiency of a change of heart, um, people are going to treat other people as if they are less than fully human. And, you know, Billy, you and I know that gets down to the to the root of the worldview issue. Um, if I don't see every other person as a fellow image bearer um, with whom I stand on equal footing at creation, at the cross, and in the kingdom of heaven, um, if I see any other human being as anything less than fully like me in terms of created in God's image, um, uh, a person for whom Christ was crucified and a person with whom I am potentially going to spend eternity in the kingdom of heaven. If I don't get that, then, then I see other people in the same way that, you know, Darwin uh, suggested, which is that it's the survival of the fittest and, and might wins. And I think the, the potential devolution into, um, into fighting into actual fighting in the streets um, is is what is in front of us, and it's the responsibility of everyone. That is not the responsibility of one frustrated, um, it, it, rightly incensed group of people. That is the fault of everyone. And that's what I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling less. Yep. I mean, I've been on this fight for all these years, and things have not gotten any better all these years since I was a child growing up in Mississippi. And the thing that happened to me, to see these things still happening, I'm feeling less than human right now. I mean, when I grew up, I, I was like, it's a, it's a sin to be black or something. So is it still that way right now? And all these people I've been uh, hanging out with, all these white Christians, these Christians I've been hanging with, but now we come down to this. So, yeah, and I'm really, really, you talk about hurting. And when I say that, I literally cried all night. And still crying right now. Billy and I are going to step away for just a second, but we'll be uh, we'll be right back.
Graciously joining me this morning, Pastor Billy Russell from the Greater Friendship Baptist Church in Minneapolis. Um, Billy, can I um, can I pray for you? Yeah, I, I really need somebody to pray with me because I don't go to the other side. But right now, I can't stop crying. Pain is so great. Father, I come before you with my brothers and sisters who are listening and with our brother Billy. Um, You know this kind of pain, Father. You died for this kind of pain. And we want to acknowledge before you today that um, we need you. We need you. Billy has been um, crying all night, and Father, he is um, he is in righteous pain before you. That kind of lamenting pain of the Psalms and the lamenting pain of uh, of Job, and I mean, so many places in Scripture come to mind where your people have lift, lifted up to you prayers of lamenting pain when they have come to the end of themselves and the end of their sense of the resources of their day. And so, Father, that's where we are. That's where we are. And when we don't know what else to do, we're going to bow our heads and lift up our hands and present these concerns to you. And we're going to ask for you to intervene. You're going to have to break some hearts, Father, in order that Um, the reality here can be different for your precious people made in your image whose skin happens to be a darker pigment than mine. Father God, um, we're sorry. We don't, we repent. We're sorry. We're sorry, and sometimes we don't then know what we're supposed to do. And so that's what we're bringing before you, Father. I'm coming before you asking for your spirit to be poured out anew upon Billy, the spirit of of comfort. Hold him right now in your everlasting arms, in the very hollow of your hand, speak tender mercies to him. And Father, as an agent of your grace, an ambassador of your kingdom, and a a fellow brother in the Lord, show him the righteous next step. Reveal it, Father. He, He wants to do what you want, but you're going to have to reveal it, and he is not alone. And so we echo this prayer, we pray this prayer for all those, not only across the city of Minneapolis, but around this country, who are likewise tempted to not only throw up their hands, but um, but take to the streets and violently oppose what for so long we have been talking about, but we have not been systemically changing. And so let us confess that as well. Let those in positions to do something do the right thing today, the first time and every time. Help us, God, to start 
carving new patterns of behavior right now. Right now. Holy God, you, you show no partiality. You show no partiality. Give us your heart in these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, Billy. Um, I think part of the challenge that some of us are facing is that um, it's not like we can just travel to be with or in physical solidarity. Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not even sure that that is appropriate, but I do, um, I do want you to know that there are people who know that words matter and that action matters and that, um, the partiality, I'm going to start using that word more and more. I think I've learned it from D.A. Horton. The partiality is um, is what we have to figure out how to overcome. Reconciliation is, is uh, a nice word. But um, getting to the place where in our heart of hearts there is genuinely no partiality, um, that's, my, that's my living hope. Yeah. And you know, it comes a time when you, you minister to people trying to tell people that, and but it comes to a point where you like, okay, who who ministers to me that I could keep saying that same thing? So that's why I thank you for your ministry this morning. So right now, I just don't. Hey, I get it. I mean, I get that. I get the desire to be and uh, the need to be ministered to. So thank you um, for join for your willingness to join us as a brother this morning. And we're going to continue praying for you, and you and I'll continue this conversation. Um, you know, at another point in time. Does that sound good? Thank you. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings. All right, friends, we'll be right back. All right, take a deep breath. I want to encourage you today to reach out to people um, who you know, like Billy Russell. Um, so who's your Billy Russell? Who, is, who are the African-American pastors and others in your community who they don't necessarily need to hear from us today, but they need us to ask how they're feeling and Pray for them. I don't pretend, I do. I absolutely do not pretend um, as a white woman to know um, how a black man in America feels. I don't pretend to know the world he's living in. Um, but if the person is a fellow brother in Christ, sister in Christ, I, I do have one blood with them. And that's the one blood of Jesus Christ. I do have one hope, one calling, one God and Father of us all. I do have one um, mission in the world to extend the grace of God to more and more people, always and in all ways. So there is a lot that we share, even when we don't share um, particular uh, particularities in terms of our life experience or the way we're made. What we do share is the most important thing about the way we're made, 
And that is that we are all made in the image of God. And Christ died once for all. There's one blood at creation. There's one blood on Calvary, and there's going to be one blood in the kingdom of heaven. And so um, reach out today. Text, phone, email, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, whatever uh, the, the mode of communication you're in with your black and brown sisters and brothers in Christ, today's the day. So uh, let me just say Justin and Clarence and Trillia and DA and others, you can expect to hear from me today. Um, I may not say much, but I have listening ears and a broken heart. Let me encourage us to come alongside one another today in Psalms of Lament. Let us be lifting up hands to God, uh, saying to him, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let us be uh, people of faith in that spirit today. All right, we've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Peter Kapsner will be here. We'll make, a, we'll make a bit of a pivot in our conversation. And then Paula Ferris, author of Called Out. What does it look like to give up a quote-unquote successful career to really do the thing that God has created you to do? Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.